Well, this one's probably been a long time coming. For those of you who have been listening to me for a while, you guys probably would have already noticed that a lot of things that I say and a lot of the values that I promote all comes from my Christian faith. Project M is not an exclusively Christian podcast, but inevitably, whether it's implied or explicitly, a lot of the content here has been based on that, and it's because my faith is really important to me. In fact, it's the foundation of my entire life. And I do believe that Christianity is the answer to how we can get a truly healthy form of masculinity, whereas the solutions that the world offers usually go to one unhealthy extreme to the other. So today I invited my pastor from my church, Covenant City Church, Tezar Putra, as well as Covenant City Church's men's ministry director, Freddie Korniawan, for us to have this conversation on what does the Bible actually say about masculinity and how can this help address some of the confusion that we face in this day and age in terms of how the genders interact. If you're a Christian, especially if you're a CCC member, I uh, hope this can be a enjoyable listening experience for you and can be a great learning experience to know what the Bible says about this topic. And if you're not a Christian, thank you for tuning in, despite the really Christian title, and hope this can at least provide a bit of clarity to you on why our faith is so important to us. And whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, if you don't agree with the stuff said in this episode, then that's also totally fine. Hope that at least can foster a more healthy, a more healthy dialogue about this topic and help us all understand and love each other better. So, all right, guys, let's get to it. Thank you so much for uh, coming in tonight to have this conversation. Finally, it only took two months, but we finally managed to align our schedules to finally be able to have this conversation. Um, so yeah, thanks. And thanks also to us, especially, even though you had to juggle single parenting and your mom's birthday night. really appreciate you coming in today. All good. I hope Tati hears this uh, podcast. And uh... <laughs> yeah, a lot of your Tazarian fans. Oh, oh you don't like it when I use that. <laughs> well, it's probably appreciate this. Yeah, Tazarian. yeah. That's pretty I, cool. It's, it's a, I've been I've I've been looking forward to doing it. It's just we haven't got time. But glad glad that we connected. A time to do it. Yep, sounds good. So yeah, the topic tonight is biblical masculinity. Um, so for those listening. In my previous podcast episodes, if you notice, a lot of the values that I communicate comes from a certain belief. Sometimes it's implied, and sometimes I explicitly say that it's because I'm a Christian. And being a Christian, there are a lot of values that I believe in that comes out of that and becomes the foundation for how I live my life. And... I thought that tonight I wanted to talk about this in a more explicit way, right? What does the Bible say about uh, masculinity and manhood and how maybe this can help address some of the challenges and confusions that we face right now in our society when it comes to 
you know, the genders, the relationship between men and women, and how hopefully we can all just get along better. Maybe before you start, yeah, maybe Tez and Freddie, you guys want to just give a quick intro about yourselves and what you guys do, um, and any any other fun facts about yourself, I guess. Sure. Freddie, you want me to go first? or Go, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I'm Tezar Putra, uh, one of the uh, teaching pastors, the elders at Covenant City Church. And uh, I mean, what else about me? I'm married, been married for, what, 12 years now, going on 13. Uh, have two kids. My oldest is Elena, seven years old, and my youngest is a five-year-old uh, boy. My oldest is a girl, uh, Liam. He's five years old, my youngest, and been pastoring for seven years. And uh, yeah, excited to be a part of the podcast. Cool. Freddie? Hi, Freddie here. I am currently on staff at Covenant City Church. I joined about like nine months ago, actually. I'm a single man and currently helping out with the men's ministry and actually co-leading a small group here at SJBD with our boy, Steve. So glad to be here tonight. Yeah. Um, for those listening, there's definitely the two guys that have been a really great blessing to me in my life, in my spiritual life, and can't be more excited to have this conversation with them. But so yeah, to start out, um, sorry, Taz, you can start us out. What does the Bible actually say about the role of men and women? And then maybe, Freddie, you can add some of your inputs after. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's actually not as specific, maybe, as some people might want it to be. But it's also, at the same time, more specific than others perhaps like it to be, you know? So depending on where you're coming from. But I think maybe the quickest way to to kind of answer that in, in, in the time frame we have is uh, I mean, you start in Genesis and you see that um, there is a difference. If you go by what Genesis says, it's really hard to, to conclude that there isn't a difference between male and female. And in many ways, I think you see God create uh, the world with a unit, unit, unity and diversity, a diverse unity in mind. So you see, you know, he created all the you know birds in the skies according to its own kind, you know, all the plants according to its own kind, all the fish according to its own kind, the animals, you know. So there's this idea of like there's its own kind, you know, there, there's a one, there's a unity in, in, in the kind in that in that genus. But yet there is a difference, a plurality, a diversity in that unity. Um, you see that throughout throughout the creation account, including uh, the creation of mankind. You know, there's male and female, there's a diversity there, but there's a unity, right? When Adam saw Eve, he said, bone of my bones flesh of my flesh you know there's an equality there that adam that male and female had but yet a diversity according to the structure of genesis which a lot of people would argue further is is the blueprint of the trinity itself you know so it's a diverse unity there's diversity but unity in the all all creation is created in that blueprint so the biblical worldview would claim that that's what it would present so there's a difference the roles uh uh, I mean, I think there is also a difference in roles. Uh, different Christians you ask would have different answers, but I would probably lean toward uh, the camp that would say that though there is equality, there's diversity, uh, not only in biology, but also in roles. And and uh, I think you see there, Adam was created to build a God-glorifying culture throughout all the earth, right? Eden was really beautiful. Eden represented God's beauty, but the rest of the earth was still kind of chaotic. That's kind of the scene we're given. And Adam was called to kind of cultivate Eden so that its beauty and its God glorifying culture would then cover the whole earth. 
And uh, Eve there was called his Ezer in the Hebrew or his helper. And then we think helper immediately, we think, okay, you know, toxic masculinity here coming into the scene. And we're like, not, not at all, actually. The word Ezer there is, is actually the same word that uh, was used to describe God. You know, when Israel was losing a war, they would call upon their helper, right? They would call upon their Ezer, the same exact word used for Eve. So, and God would come and kind of destroy the enemy, you know? So the idea there is closer, it's less, you know, cooking meals at home, although it could be part of it. And it's more so military airstrike. You know, that's kind of the idea there of an Ezer uh, to help win wars. So Adam was called to build a God-glorifying culture on earth. And Eve was meant to be his, you know, his backup, his military backup, you know, to, to accomplish that goal. Um, different roles, equal value, same worth, you know, uh, but but there are different roles. I think that's what generally the biblical worldview will present. Although you ask different Christians, there'll be different nuances to it. But yeah, that's what I would say. To start off, hmm. yeah, I like the military strike analogy. I think that's pretty unique, um, and yeah, definitely better than the you know just stay in the kitchen uh, sentiment that you usually hear. Uh, Freddie, any, any thoughts on this? Um, I think Taser just about sums it up. Like, I don't really have much to say. There's pretty much like what was originally intended from the very beginning. But I think uh, Taser also mentioned about both biology and the social aspect of it like in order to fulfill the cultural mandate like to fill the earth and multiply it is important to have two of them you know it is not just like one which is why god says it's not good for a man to be alone because then then the the filling of the earth and multiplication will not be there the creation of society uh but then later on i don't know if this is like touching specifically on uh roles per se but in the new testament uh, Apostle Peter writes that men and women are both co-heirs of the grace of life and that they are both the recipient of salvation. So what I'm trying to say here is that there is no, um, when we say that there are different roles is like, we want to emphasize again, because when people say that one is the head and the other one is helper, it's as if one is like superior and the other one is inferior. There are no difference in values. They're both like made, in, you know, they share in the, the divine print like they're both in the created in the image of god and they're both redeemed and they're both assigned to complete uh the same goal the cultural mandate and not just in terms of procreation but also to feel the glory of god to fill the earth with the glory of god and that requires i think both of them to be you know different in ways and one to be the leader and one to be the helper yeah mm. Just, just to add to that, maybe too, sorry, now we're talking, now my head's just going up. Some some would even go as far as saying, uh, even in the in, in the Trinity, you know, there are differences in roles. You know, when you talk about the uh, uh, Trinitarian economy is kind of the, the phrasing there, how how they outwork, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You never see the Son sending the Father. You never see the Holy Spirit sending the Son, they would say, right? Mm. You always see the Father sending the Son and the Son sending the Spirit. Mm. Is that, you know, different roles? But does that therefore mean there's difference in value or in worth, you know, or in uh, 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 glory? Not at all. You know, they're one one God. You know, I'm not even saying theirs. You know, like uh, three persons, one God. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, it's unfortunate that difference of role equals difference of value. Um, I think the biblical worldview would hope to not uh, equate difference of roles, difference in value. Um, yeah, and, and one more thing, uh, being ahead 
in the scripture is never uh, a place of privileged power where you, where everyone else does everything for you, you know, uh, not to get gory, but the head of the family in the Old Testament were the ones who were to be circumcised so that, you know, the ones under that head would, would be accepted in, in the household of God, you know, the head suffered, the head shed blood, you know, um, so it's, it's Christ, you know, uh, he's our head, uh, and he, he sacrificed. So, yeah, this idea that uh, the head is meant to be the one that everyone kind of bows down to, that's not really, you know, maybe as as, as biblical as we think it often is. Uh, the head is the one usually called to sacrifice and, and to protect the ones under his care. So, mm. yeah. I want to add a little bit in the New Testament. It just want to be a bit you know, explicit about roles. Um, I think you mentioned it, Tess, in one of your sermons in the past that the scope for these roles are limited to correct me if i'm wrong but limited to family you mentioned family here and also the church governance correct right so like family when we talk about ephesians uh five five and colossians three when the husband you know being called out by paul it's like to love Mm-hmm. the wife and the wife to submit and you said you know like love the language of love we'll talk about it later when we talk about you know uh you know like all the you know masculine aspect of you know masculinity uh to love someone is like what tazar said is to die like the the language that the bible uses for god so loved the world that he gave his only son like you know like this language like how how should we love uh our spouse how should we love other people is by giving up you know who we like not giving up who we are but giving, giving ourselves up like for the sake of other people uh and also for the church i think that is i think that is probably the part that is a bit controversial because some people would argue that it is cultural the cultural backdrop at the moment but this is also something that i don't know if Tazer, you want to bring this up or not but you know like the office the the role of church you know elder and preacher are only reserved for for male mm. uh in the complementarian church yeah so i think freddie you touched upon the next like topic that i want to discuss right um i think you guys mentioned a lot of really great things about yeah during creation there is a um difference in roles and then a difference in roles doesn't mean a difference in value but i think a lot of uh, complications happen from then until now, right? I think one, because, you know, we believe that sin entered the world and corrupted everything. Now, like for many, we do see a difference in roles as a difference in value, right? And then an unfortunate result of that is there has been this long history of men thinking that because they are the head, they are the dominant leaders and they have the authority to completely dominate women and they expect full submission. And I think, you know, this has caused like a really long history of discrimination and sexism, which obviously now creates a lot of, you know, pain and trauma for a lot of women. And fast forward now to the 21st century, we're in this time now where fortunately a lot of discrimination has gotten better, but we live at a more confusing time now, you know, where 
you know, head positions aren't just for men, right? And in, in the marketplace, you know, like now you have both men and women CEOs, you have men and women leaders, men and women politicians. And I guess because of pain from, you know, this history of discrimination and how our culture is now, now this also seeps in to, yeah, the household and also the church, right? On like, you know, who should be the leader, uh, men or, or women. But so I guess, what do you guys think? Um, you know, like given like the cultural like backdrops and, you know, the mindset this has created, how do we navigate through this in this day and age? I think, I think the first thing I always like to do when I'm presented with this is, is first of all, actually affirm and empathize the, the anxieties that, that some people have about this is, is legitimate. And it's not just coming out of nowhere. You know, there has been many examples of men, uh, abusing their power, uh, of trying to gain that power from uh, scriptures and verses out of context. Um, and there is an anxiety there when you approach this topic, and even so much so to where the most uh, cordial and uh, uh, caring complementarian explanation, you know, or the, uh, um, uh, even like what we're saying now could sound like just men trying to keep that status quo with a more eloquent way you know I, I totally get how it could sound like that and man first of all it's 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 yeah it's, it's unfortunate that that anxiety exists and it's it's definitely justifiable that it exists I, I understand why it's there um uh but yeah but i think i guess at the same time i want to protect our hermeneutics and our exegesis to not be anxiety informed um you know and and so how do you balance the two uh but, but i guess if you know i think Freddie hit it just now. Uh, I, I'm in the position where um, it's seen, explicitly in the scripture, male headship is seen to be in the family unit. And in, I would say, not all Christians agree with this, um, but I would say also in eldership, eldership roles. And we can talk about the details of that later if you want. Uh, but but it absolutely does not mean that every woman should just be walking around bowing their heads to every man that passes by, you know, submitting themselves to every man. It doesn't say submit to men submit to your husband you know and so it's very limited to your husband you know uh there's no ring on there don't you know like that's not a thing so um so politicians presidents i i just don't some some christians would say yes it therefore impl implies that as well i'm not sure sure if i land quite there yet now um for me i think uh, i'm still what i see in the scripture is that it's it's explicit for the household and an explicit for uh, eldership, even deacons, even deacons. I'm uh, thinking, rethinking it. I was, I was male deacons, but now after studying the scriptures again, I'm rethinking whether or not it's as explicit for deacons or not. Um, and we can get into that if you want, but yeah, that, that's where I'm at um, with that. So. Yeah. And also on, on like the eldership, I don't know if like this is right to say this, but it's not just like specifically, reserved for male but qualified male like it has to be like above reports there are like right. the requirement is like a bit more nuanced than just like black and white it's like just male you know as if like any male can have the opportunity for it but i guess that brings up another topic where um you mentioned capable men freddie but i think now a lot of people are saying oh yeah we just don't have any more capable men anymore you know like a lot of men are lazy they don't really take responsibility for their lives. They're not capable leaders. And meanwhile, it seems we have a lot more capable women, 
right? Like they're, they seem to be, they seem to have a stronger gift in pastoring. They seem to be better leaders. They seem to be more empathetic, you know, when they're caring uh, for people, right? So, I mean, I guess a bit of a challenge to both of you, like for those that say, well, you know, if we have an absence of capable men, but we have capable women, then, you know, why not have women be the leaders, right? Even in the church where they can even do some good, maybe even bring some people to Christ. Yeah. Um, and actually, I know a few reformed pastors who probably would lean toward that that position where they would say that, yes, we have male uh, female elders because we don't see, you know, any competent men. And, and I mean... I guess you can kind of, you know, what I mean, a stretch uh, uh, to get there. Um, I for, so I would just base my ecclesiology, you know, um, or, or the, how to order the church and run the church. Um, if if you just go straight from scripture in in First uh, Timothy three and and Titus, you know, uh, one, it, it is kind of hard to get away from uh the he and the masculine pronoun there on on qualifications for elders um and and some would say well you know that was that was just a given uh for that particular church at that particular time like the he you know what i mean because of some uh gender issues back then now say that's fine you can say that but if you want to if you want to put a, a this is just for that culture at this time stamp on one part of that passage you kind of have to you can't have your cake and eat it too. You kind of have to do it for the whole passage or not at all, you know? So it's either everything there is just culturally just for that time. So, you know, wh who are we to say that the masculine is just cultural, but then the drunkenness and the other stuff is not cultural. That's for all people. Who, who decides which parts cultural and which parts is just for, you know, or for all people at all times. So, you know, I think it's either all, like it's all just cultural and now we're back to, to square one. So what is qualifications, you know, at this point? Um, or it's all for all times, you know, and I think the, the biggest one that uh, to go for is right before that, First Timothy 2, the reasoning as to why Paul said he, you know, husband of one wife, he, 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 all the masculine pronouns there was based on uh, Adam was made first. That's in First Timothy chapter chapter two uh, and Eve second. So the appeal for the eldership position being male in First Timothy chapter three is based upon the creation account in in First Timothy chapter two, pointing to Genesis chapter two, uh, because it's basing itself on the creation account. It's it gets it gets even harder than at that point to say this applies just to the culture at that particular time because this is a creation blueprint, you know, um, um, for for all therefore culture in time. So that would be the difficulties that people would have to jump through and explain. Uh, Commentarians, I mean, uh, um, uh, oh, brain fart. Egalitarian. Um, egalitarians, yeah, would have to would have to explain, you know, uh, why, why that. But maybe some have attempted to explain it, and there could be a good explanation out there. It's just, it's just, I would say, yeah. take more hoops to get there. So. Yeah, I, I'm really tempted to go on the route of, you know, it is not sacrifice but obedience that the Lord requires, you know, just like trying to attempt uh, figuring out the ways that seem best to men. Uh, but in the end, it is, you know, the way that the Lord has prescribed that that we should follow, we should obey. In. But at the same time, I also just want to mention that that the Lord is the head, right? He gives good gifts for the body. And we have been blessed by like what you say, like really qualified women. It doesn't mean that we should shut them up 
and like you should not even like make use of the gifts that the Lord has given. There are there is space uh, where these women can flourish with their own gifts and ministries, and uh, women in the church should be equipped. All even use I think Phoebe her name to send out and uh, even read uh, some of his epistles to to the churches. You know, there are places and gifts and spaces where women should be empowered to flourish and minister and when we have the opportunity to do that i think we should pursue it and you know in our the context of our church we uh, recognize those gifts and we raise women you know bible study leaders we raise women community group leaders and even our women director we encourage her to also take part in like our leadership training you know we we agree that 40 percent of the training should be you know uh brought by by her and just because we also want to recognize her gifts and uh what the lord has in store for the church from these qualified women as well and and by the way um i did a sermon series on first peter a while back i can't remember when it was and the commentary i used was written by um a uh woman uh karen jobes uh on first peter and it was i think one of, if not the best commentary I've ever used uh, to, to, to exegete a whole book from. Um, and so she, her, her academia, her competence, her, um, her, you know, uh, gifts were very much present at CCC's pulpit throughout that series uh, in, in many ways. Um, so there, you know, uh, again, you, you don't want to put restrictions where the Bible doesn't. And I think, the Bible only rest- restricts restrictions, I think, would go to elders. Some would say deacons, you know, but I think explicitly it would be elders for me at this point, at least. But it doesn't mean, therefore, that I can't, you know, study a commentary. I can't use a commentary made by a woman. It doesn't mean that women can't weak community groups with men in it. You know, even that, I don't, I don't, some people would say that's the application. I don't know. I think for me, that's still barring women more than the Bible does. Um, it's just strictly eldership, you know, for some reason. And, and I think like, like, um, you said uh, um, earlier uh, that uh, obedience is, you know, obedience is what's, what we're called to. So um, make competent men, build up competent men, um, train them up. I can share an analogy later that comes to mind, but I'll wait if, if there's a better moment to do it later. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for sharing all that. Uh, I think you actually segued uh what you said was a good segue actually to the next part about building competent men. Um, well, okay. Actually, so I heard this from someone before and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So someone once told me that, yeah, in general, men are lazier than women, but maybe that's part of the reason, you know, like why God put this responsibility on us. Right. So that it would sort of like motivate us and push us right to, a position with high ownership or responsibility. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Do you think that kind of plays into it or no? That that uh, men are generally more lazy than women and the combination between that and the command. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Freddie? Are... Interesting. I don't know what you mean by that because that sounds a little bit more like a generalization you know like i feel offended i'm not (laughs) we were we were getting really heavy on the theologist i wanted to yeah yeah to lighten it down (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a lot of women, you know, maybe a lot of men where there is, I think it's very general. That's a very generic take on it, you know. Yeah. And it's on probably nuanced as well. And it, we just need to look at the context, like not to just generalize men, but also to generalize the women who share this. I feel like it's case by case. And I don't know, for that particular person who share that, they might be, um, I don't know, like underlying issue with your know, past relationship with men and realizing that oh there is passivity issue for example i don't know like maybe the men are being idle or passive because it's or they seem like that because they're either insecure or maybe you know like if it's if we're talking about like romantic pursuit maybe it's not compatible i mean there are a lot of it's like a plethora of Ooh, scenarios well, that we can tell you see romantic topic for a bit later but you already okay <laughs> no no worries yeah i was just like saying that there are a lot of like areas that we can touch upon but in general i don't think we can generalize that men are lazier but in the case where men are lazier and i don't know like in a between husband and wife i think uh to maintain that role of as Ezer, as helper, I think I can't, I, I feel like out of place to speak for the wife, but I, you know, you maybe encourage the men to, to buck up and like, you know, uh, pick up the cross and, you know, work. Uh, I would, I would do that. I, I think I would personally appreciate it when, when I'm being called out and being disciplined. And I think as God, man i think that would be something that we we would want out of our ezer what do you think tess yeah this this could be the time for the analogy earlier i don't know uh, so i and i don't know what people think about this but it's been helpful to me and by the way if, if you guys know my wife tati she is by no means a pushover you know she is by no means um a yes woman and we just do whatever i not at all, you know. Um, but I think so. Okay, does that mean therefore that um, she has to be more timid and she can't say what you know? If she's more competent in a, in a thing, she can't tell me what to do, how to do. It. I don't think so. I think I think a good. But she's also called to submit. You know, Ephesians five. So what does that mean? How does that? How does how does submission? How does a more competent woman uh, submit? You know, when she has thoughts and better thoughts than the man than the husband, for example. So an analogy I use is, I don't know, a long time ago, I don't know if this is still true, um, or if it was just a period of time for John Piper, um, that he he retired from pastoral ministry a while back. And I remember at a point in time, he went to other churches or something like that. I can't, I can't remember to where he, he wanted to um, join another church or be a member of the church. I wasn't sure, but he was, he was kind of going to other smaller churches you know, instead of, instead of his, because his looming presence, obviously, you know, would make it hard for the next person and all that. So I'm just imagining my head, like, you know, you're, you're a preacher, you're a young preacher, you know, you've been a pastor for like three years, your congregation's at 80, at a 120. And then you see John Piper walk in the, the door and you're like, oh my gosh, like Piper's here. And he sits down on the pews and then he just looks at your sermon. <laughs> you can, You can just tell he's like, he has a million, you know, ideas and thoughts. Now, say, you know, a uh, hypothetical scenario, he becomes a member there. Surely he'll have a thousand thoughts 
on this young preacher's performance, right? Surely he has a million thoughts about how he could preach better, about how he could pastor better, about how he could run, be running this and that better. And okay, does that mean that therefore he can he can't say anything? He just has to stay quiet because he's not the pastor. I don't think so. He's much more competent. I think he should speak up and say things. You know, sometimes even rebuke if that's necessary for this young pastor to then grow. But I but if but if his intention is to retire and if he's not trying to pastor anymore, he would he would have to do that dance where he does that advice and feedback and rebukes even in such a way that does not then take over that pastor. You know, to where he doesn't end up, end up becoming the pastor of that church because he's not trying to do that. He's, you know, he's done 50 years of that, however long, you know, um, and he's retired. How do you do that? How do you give suggestions and thoughts and rebukes without overtaking this person's leadership and authority? That's a hard, hard dance to do, you know, but I think, I think it, it's, you know, that somebody could take that and run with it and be like, oh, Tez just is whatever, you know, but I, I hope you guys take that cordially and see the heart behind what I'm trying to say, you know, like, I think there's a way that you can re rebuke somebody, you can build somebody up, you can disagree with them, you can be critical with them. Uh, but in such a way that it doesn't cut them down as a leader, but instead build them up, because uh, God's not called you uh, to, to lead, for example, uh, in, in that um, area, household or whatever, if you're a complementarian, you know, believe that. So I don't know, that, that to me has been a helpful way, maybe to think about it. Right. So I guess it's more about empowering, um, you know, instead of criticizing in a way that belittles or, um, yeah, it makes the person feel smaller, I guess. Sure. I would, I would also say at the same time, you know, in, in the other side of the coin, just to balance the room out of it, um, is it a woman's job to walk around eggshells, you know, on men's egos? I don't, I don't think so either, you know, so it's not like the woman has to you know, oh, I got to give feedback, but I got to walk on eggshells because his ego may be hurt and all that. You know, I don't think, I think the man should be able to get, you know, and all that. So, you know, there's that side too, you know, how do you give somebody suggestions and build them up as a leader, but yet not feel this like, I got to, you know, he has such a thin ego that I can't even say anything to him. And so, I don't know, balancing the two out, you know, is, uh, is, is the riddle, I guess. Yeah, it it really is a two way thing. Um, there used to be like love and understanding, um, and also wisdom, I guess, on both sides, both for the man side and the woman side, uh, for this to work. But so shifting gears a little bit, so we've talked a lot about um, like the the philosophy, right? And I guess in terms of like church governance, um, let's try to bring it down a bit, I guess, more to the day to day. So we talked about you know having more capable men. Um, you know, being able to build more capable, uh, godly men. But so do you guys think that in general right now, the church is doing a good job in raising good boys and thus good men? Um, for me personally, growing up, I found that definitely what biblical masculinity is, that wasn't something that was thought to me in Sunday school or that my parents really talked about a lot. And I think a lot of the lessons that I got at least her was more of like, all right, you know, Jesus is like all loving, you know, Jesus is kind, Jesus is forgiving, right? So that's how you should be too. You know, you should be kind, loving, forgiving, and then referring to the fruits of the spirit, right? In Galatians, uh, you know, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness. But again, like these are all actually pretty feminine characteristics, right? And I think... Um, 
so I, I went through this and I think a lot of guys did too. They think, okay, then that means that I just have to be this like really loving, kind, joyful, almost soft kind of guy, right? I can't be angry. I can't have ambition. Um, you know, I can't, uh, you know, show my strength or exercise my strength. Um, and a lot of these people end up becoming, you know, doormats or yes men, right. Or nice guys, right. That end up, um, you know, suffering in life, but then on the other extreme, right. There's this toxic masculinity that thinks, as you mentioned earlier, right. And there's these guys that take it to the other extreme where have really high egos, they have to assert their dominance all the time. They always have to, to be the one to win. They're almost abusive with their power. And that's not the way to go either. So I guess like, what does like the right balance look like in, in a biblical context? I'm thinking about this, like if, I don't know if that's like a, the cultural lens through which we see all this uh, fruit of the spirit and, and, for some reason define them or like categorize them as feminine in nature because like what i mentioned earlier on like love for example love you know the first characteristic first attribute of the fruit of the spirit if you will often described as masculine quality uh in the bible like for god so loved the world that he gave his only son we love because he first loved us husband love your wife as christ loves the church like you know like the the aspect of caring uh, Tazar mentioned earlier about being, you know, sacrificial, like the one that protects, I love you. And that's why I die for you in John 15. I think Jesus said that. Um, I don't know if that's exclusively feminine. In fact, like loving and caring that might be often described as masculine, if I can even categorize it that way. And I don't even want to go there. So I think it is neutral. Um, not like feminine or masculine, but I think I get where you're going, Steve, where, uh, you know, meekness, you know, like gentleness is often, you know, because masculinity is often associated with assertion, dominance, strong will, like, you know, um, and I think there's space where even Jesus exerts dominance over something when he flips table, and but in the context and not saying that we should do that as well like we look at jesus's gentleness and righteous anger towards sin this is we're talking about somebody who is completely just over what he does like and completely merciful versus if we apply the same thing and we try to be like angry to people or even when we try to be gentle most of the time is out of our you know fight and flight mode it is most of the time is out of like ego as well uh, trying to you know uh get something out of the situation so I don't know, maybe I'm rambling here, but what I'm saying is that I don't think that the fruit of the spirit or at least any of these attributes is feminine in nature. And in fact, Jesus also displayed an uh, aspect of masculinity that we should also uphold. Um, but I think we need to be careful not to like lean towards one or the other, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, about faithfulness and wisdom to do what uh, would be faithful and it any given time and what would be uh worshipful to god um you know and like serve off service to other people that's what i would say what do you think tess yeah i, th I think it's on point I, I think i was first question why those things are categorized as feminine or masculine you know 
it's the fruit of the spirit. And first of all, we know that God is spirit. God is neither male or female. You know, God is, he, he doesn't have a gender. He's described as a he in the Bible, but that's not because he's biologically, he, there's no biological, you know, substance in God. He's a spirit. Uh, it's just, he's described as he to represent, uh, um, and I mean, you can say ontologically, you know, there, there's something there. But I think a lot of times it's described um, a father to giving to a son. Even the church is often called a son. You know, you're a son of God. Even women are called sons, not because the Bible sex is there, but because the Bible wanted to represent this inheritance giving from a father to a son. Whereas back then it was only given to the first male child. But in the kingdom of God, the Bible is saying women get inheritance too. women too are sons, you know, so it's actually the opposite of uh, sexist. It's, it's, you know, so. Um, so it's through the spirit, neither masculine nor, nor feminine. And maybe another thing that could help the discussion is that a lot of people have pointed out that it's not the fruits of the spirit. So these aren't, these aren't multiple virtues. Um, this is one big virtue. It's the fruit singular of the spirit. And what is that fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, so it's not like it's, it's different things. It's, it's, it's one whole fruit you know um um this person whatever that person is he described as the accumulation of, of all these virtues in one is 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 the one who's bearing the the christian uh the the fruit of the spirit so maybe seeing it as a fruit and not as uh uh dissected virtues might might help a little bit you know what i mean on our on our thinking of it to be masculine or feminine because it's neither you know it's, it's just, just this person who you know exudes all this yeah i don't know if that helps right yeah um that definitely really helps um and and i think that kind of contextualizes a bit to people right on like uh how we think uh, about these traits and characteristics but so if that's the case then right that there's there's nothing in the bible that's you know teaching like more explicit uh feminine characteristics right so why is it then that now we have this, um, yeah, I'd say it's a valid concern, I guess, that we're just, like, the church isn't really raising, like, you know, good uh, men. And I think there's more pronounced in the West, at least for now. Um, I think definitely, like, um, church members in general, like, have this, right? That's why that's why the belief of, like, you know, women being, like, uh, more effective, like, church leaders, like, come up. But then this concern is something that's vocalized most by christian women right i'm sure you guys have heard it all the time right i don't feel like there's any more uh, good men in the church anymore right i don't feel like any good christian men are pursuing me i don't feel like christian men are actually taking ownership and taking responsibility for their lives right and um I think especially when you try to counsel, you know, some like women in the church who struggle with singleness, like, I think this is probably the biggest concern, right? Like, they just don't think like the men in the church are that eligible. And, you know, maybe that's why then, you know, like they think that yeah, non-Christians, they're more badass, right? They're more assertive. Um, so that's why they would, they t tend to go to that. Um, but say, so, yeah, what, what do you guys think of that? Like, what's actually going on here? Steve, I think you're pretty badass, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think Steve is pretty badass, and I don't know. That's like the antithesis of the statistic I'll that you just mentioned. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to ask 
again, like when people say all these things, all these statistics, I wonder where they, like, first of all, where where they get the statistics? And second of all, what kind of matrix uh, that they use to measure, I don't know, success in raising Christian men? And I think you're also hating on like the fact that, oh, they're not pursuing me. And like, you're, you're probably touching on the romantic aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Would it be too overly generalizing to say that no man is pursuing me? But maybe there are men who pursue you, whoever said that, and then you were just, I don't know, oblivious to it. I mean, I wonder what the matrix, the what is, the, there needs to be more holistic assessment to what you, when, when you say that there, like the church has not, I don't know if you say this, but it may sound like the church has not done a good job raising godly men who are not leading the body well, but also not pursuing the single girls. It's it, it it sounds a little bit like that. And I don't know, I might need to like have a conversation with whoever said that and just like get to know more, get a bit more insight. And then we and then what do you think, Tess? That's what I have in mind. Yeah. I'm I'm still uh, I'm so insecure the fact that I cussed earlier maybe I'll get get canceled uh, for that. <laughs> oh, sorry, I sorry that. Um, no, you're good. I'm like, man, I, am I anyway, a excommunicator for that? No, right? <laughs> I I may Gray may hear this and get me in trouble. Anyways, um, uh, man, I don't know. It's 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 fair unfair maybe you know the assessment. It's I see it like I I see that maybe there is validity in in the fact that you know maybe so on one side. I see validity there that there's men aren't, you know, some men aren't pursuing maybe as much. They're not, not as their life isn't as together or I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's tons, tons of data there, you know, I mean, to accumulate to then con- get that conclusion. Um, but there's also data on the other side. There are also men in the church who are, who do have their lives together and, you know, what I mean, and um, so I don't know. I maybe, maybe I'll punt to um, uh, the, presuppositional nature of mankind on this one what i mean is that we 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 for some reason tend to see data that would uh support our presupposition and you know so i don't know um i think there are men that are competent in the church i think there are men that that have their lives together and um are are there men that aren't sure you know i don't know but i guess what i'm saying is um no one wants to be no one wants to be shackled down to just these group of people you know who wants that you know like you know just christians <laughs> you know this is the this is the kind of uh, pool you can fish from um and it's like uh and you want to break free from that you know of course and, and i think because of that maybe the ones that do stick out are the ones that don't have it together you know, so that, so then therefore it's just, I will kind of find those who are outside of the, the, the pool. I don't know. Maybe that's too, uh, uh, judgmental of a take on that. Maybe it's too, maybe I'm, might be my own presuppositions, you know, maybe, I don't know, but that's part of what I'll say. I don't know if it's fair. I guess this is what I'm saying. I don't know if it's fair to say that uh, men in church aren't competent or aren't, you know, um, I think there are out there a lot of them that are competent. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't have any data to back this up. But the church I grew up going to, um, the church I went to when I was in the U.S., um, my campus ministry, um, especially during college, right? I think that's when it was the loudest. Um, 
now, now um, I think in our church, I don't hear it as much, but in a lot of yeah churches, I just hear the sentiment at some point, right? Um, on like, you know, a lot of the women is probably saying, oh yeah, a Christian men are pursuing me. And then meanwhile, right, um, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but in a lot of other churches, well, actually, no, we did. We did like a singles, like hang out. And then, and then, you know, a lot of churches have these like uh, panels on like singleness and like how to tackle that. Um, do you think there's anything that as a church we can do uh, in order to try to like, um, like tackle this? And I guess us as like, you know, individuals, I guess like, what can we do by ourselves to try to help foster a healthier culture about this? Maybe Friday is the men's ministry director. I was about to say, I think that's why we have men and women ministry in the church is uh, to help minister to the specific needs of men and women, uh, single men, single women, and to help them grow in the knowledge of God. Right to understand what their roles, uh, what singleness means, what marriage means, um, and also to help them flourish in you know their gifts. We talked about that in ministry, in the way that they see uh, the world, in the way that how how we should view our workplace. Um, there are a lot of things that we can do within the ministry. We within our in the context of Covenant City Church, we have, you know, single ministry. We have, we are about to hopefully, Lord willing, have like a faith and work ministry related to this. The Bible study, we want to cater to as much as possible, you know, balance between biblical, um, historical, systematic, and practical theology. So we want to touch upon all these areas and, and specifically care for the different needs of the different people. And that's why I said, like, whoever asked these questions and, you know, whoever has all these concerns may have a certain baggage that might need to be addressed. And um, uh, if your church is privileged enough, uh, you should have, you know, like a dedicated uh, ministry for for men and women, because each of those, each of them uh, has a specific needs that needs uh, to be taken care of. And that's what we are trying to do here is to to care and to make disciple and to grow them to become leaders. And hopefully that's what we're doing. Hopefully it's been going on well, Tess, in CCC. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it has. And it's definitely on, on you know, continuing to, to, to do so. Um, just to bring it down maybe to like a day-to-day level too. I remember when I first started dating Tati, I was very passive. Like I was very, I mean, I was hitting the brakes left and right. I was not going for it. And I think it was because, I, so we're, so we're talking about different things, right? Competence, but then also like pursuit, I guess, men pursuing women was also kind of a thing there. Like I just had before, Tati was my first Christian relationship. Tati's my wife, by the way, for those who don't, who don't know. Um, and um, before that, my, my uh, previous relationships were just not good relationships. Like they're, they're you know, not, not Christian relationships. And I guess I was really scared to mess it up. With, with this Christian relationship, you know, um, and I just became a Christian and I'm like viewing, da- I view dating now in a totally different worldview and lenses and for a different purpose and all that. And maybe I swung the pendulum too far the other way, you know, to where I was just like, you know what, God, protect her heart. That was like, you know, the, the slogan back in the, you know, two, two thousands, whatever, you know, like protect her heart, protect the heart. So I'm kind of like, okay, like I'm dating her, but I'm like, not 
ever showing affection to her, <laughs> you know, and um, because I want to protect her heart, you know, unless I'm you know, she's going to marry her. So I don't know, maybe there is nervousness too on a lot of men, you know, who who did come from non-Christian backgrounds or men who come from Christian backgrounds. But then something about intimacy has been made dangerous, you know, like uh, so anything that's intimate feels dangerous um, and therefore, you know, you shouldn't. So I don't know, maybe there's a, there's a lot of that too going on kind of on the existential aspect of things, which is why they just, we, men just don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to go too hard. And then, you know, I don't know. So we're, we're, we're very confused is I think is, is, is the summary there. Men, men are, men are confused and, and scared and anxious and insecure, you know, and, and yeah, I don't know indecisive maybe also indecisive, because, of, because yeah. of the many options that we have in the world it might also affect the way that we make decisions for our romantic life and it makes us it paralyzes us and like makes us afraid to be rooted and stay committed to one <laughs> i guess i don't know if i can speak for people but i think that's probably you know the many options that we have offered to us the many spectacles uh, the opportunity cost that we are so scared to lose all of that. You know, one 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 thing to that, um, Tina, the previous uh, wife of uh, Joe, who is somebody who was uh, pastoring at CCC. You mean you mean the current wife, right? Sorry, <laughs> the current oh, no. wife of yes, the current wife of, of the previous the previous uh, person, <laughs> Joe, who pastored in our church. Um, she did a women's conference, uh, Angel, our women's ministry director, organized a women's conference, and Tina's one of the speakers. And she says something really, really interesting, because uh, the same question came up there in the women's conference. And it's all women, you know, there said, why aren't men, you know, this competent, whatever person that we want them to be. And, and Tina was like, look, um, don't expect your boyfriend to be like your, to be this future 13 you know a year married husband that you've married like your boyfriend is not going to be this man you know i mean who's been married for you for 13 years and this guy who just sacrifices and knows you and perseveres and endures and you know it's like that guy's been put through the fire like that guy has suffered marital woes that guy has suffered raising kids that guy's has you know i mean your boyfriend hasn't suffered enough you know, your boyfriend hasn't gone through all that. Um, you can't expect them to be this, you know, mentally, uh, I don't know, furnished person, you know, that you want him to be. He's not there yet. He, he hasn't gone through that. So, may, you know, I'm not saying lower expectations. I don't think that's what she was meaning either, you know. Um, but I think she is saying, like, he's your boyfriend. He's not, he's not the guy that you've been married to for 20 years and now has this solid unity with you. It's like, no, I don't know. Does that, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it does make sense. Um, like I've heard a lot that, you know, a sign that someone would be a good spouse is somebody can grow with together. And I think you mentioned in your wedding sermons, right? Like we're both like sinful people, uh, you know, who are trying to grow to uh, trying to grow together in the Lord. So yeah, everybody comes with their baggages and flaws. And then, you know, through going through marriage is the thing that will shape you to the person that you're meant to be. Uh, there's actually still so many things I want to talk about with you guys, but we've actually been talking for almost an hour now. I, I didn't even feel it. It's crazy. Um, and as is the, tr the tradition for a CCC sermon, <laughs> we <laughs> close off with talking about Jesus. Because I think, I don't know, to me, part of the um, 
problems with a lot of churches is yeah we try to say all these you know like oh this is like the christian way to date you know this is the christian way to you know handle like this like interaction right between like men and women and so on and so forth but you know then it becomes more of just like a self-help seminar really than something really rooted in the bible well i do think right um like i remember it was like i remember the first cz sermon i went to was on the book of esther right and before that, I was like, okay, it's a good story. You know, Esther, you know, saves the Israelites and, and things like that. But then you tied it back to Christ. And I'm like, wow, I've never heard that before, you know, in my like 24 years of being a Christian. So I think even this, right, um, biblical manhood, masculinity, um, the interactions between men and women, I think there's definitely things that we can look to Christ to, to try to solve some of the confusions that we're facing. So what do you guys, like, uh, any, you guys have any uh, thoughts on that? Like, how is Christ the model for biblical masculinity? Yes, have you heard a saying that Christ is the true and better Samson? Or is that like something that I just made up? Yeah, no, I think I think that's there. I don't think that's too far of a reach. Yeah. You can say that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if, I don't know, like if masculinity, I'm trying to like, over the course of this conversation, I'm trying to like see what masculinity is and how Christ has demonstrated that and I don't know if like masculinity is what, you know, like a cultural label on certain virtues uh, that men should have. And But if anything, I would say if masculinity symbolizes or represents proactiveness, protectiveness, you know, this heroic uh, stature that is desired by both men and women for their, I don't know, spouses to have, I think Christ... Uh, Jesus in his um, ministry, he, I say that he demonstrated this when he ate with the sinners. He, when he fed the, you know, the people who are hungry, when he vouched for those who are weak, um, like the women caught in adultery, like, you know, he, to me, that sounds like, you know, a picture of, could have something that inspired the you know, the sweet jock, if you will, in like modern movies nowadays. But um, I think the greatest display of masculinity, you know, dominance, and not to get like cheesy here, but this past Sunday when Cesar, you preached that Jesus killed death when he uh, defeated death by laying down his life, by actually giving it up. Uh, He submitted to the will of the Father, right? Uh, to die on the cross uh, to procure our salvation. And Paul described, you know, the very virtue that he desired out of men, out of husband to their wives, is to love them as Christ loved the church. Um, and that is, I think, the, I don't know if I'm, you know, overly reductionist here. But I think that's the value of masculinity. When you vouch for the weak, when you die, when you, you know, lay down your life to protect other people. And I think that is what men uh, have done and considered masculine in history. And I think that's what Christ, uh, it, it points to like, you know, like this quality aspect that the Lord is trying to say, like husband, protect your wife and say, um, care for them. It's like Christ uh, loves and cares for the church. So masculinity uh, in 
in our lives today would look like, you know, the sacrifice would look like laying down your life, would look like loving your spouse, loving all the saints in the world um, out of your obedience to God. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that was great. Um, before I end too, if if there's any CC members that are hearing this and they're like, "Our church believes what?" You know, and there's some things about complementarianism that that's maybe new to you. I think pretty much everyone knows. But if if this is your first time hearing about it and you kind of want to talk more about it, I'm open. Don't panic. <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about it in chat um, for sure. But I think, yeah, I mean, Ephesians 5, I think you hit it on the head, you know, uh, Fred, Freddie. I think Genesis 2, you see a picture of, of a masculine man there who saw Eve and sung over his wife, you know, and, you know, Bone of My Bow's Special Affairs is the first poem you would say ever written. Um, so I think masculine men are uh, uh, in need of connection and fellowship. And there's something else I want to say at the end of about all this and but i think that's a picture of masculinity i think there are tons of other pictures um i think um masculine men uh, protect the weak i think uh, but i think if we, i mean we can go everywhere but i think ephesians 5 hits it on on the head you know um men love your wife as as uh, christ loved the church um and gave himself up for her and died for her and sacrificed for their sacrificial love there but i do i do want to say that um, this then means masculinity is reserved for those who are called to marriage, you know, because these verses we're talking about are referring to husbands. Um, and again, out of the Bible would say that's true. Paul uh, was single. He never married. You know, show me another mas ma man more masculine than that. Um, aside Jesus, from Christ. Jesus never married either, right? Exactly. Except yeah. from Christ, who also was never married, you know, and there's masculinity there. So these verses do that we've been referring to do refer to kind of husbands, just because they're the kind of the first ones that come to mind. And um, but I don't want us to get, get the impression that masculinity, therefore, is only possible to be expressed by those who are married. Um, some men are called to singleness, you know, the Bible says, and uh, the potentiality for masculinity is, is nonetheless there for them uh, because of what Christ um has exemplified, you know, in his life as a single man. I think sacrificial love, I think that would be the, the main thing. Sacrificial love that that you're willing to, you know what it, you know, you know what it feels uh, like to be silent as a lamb to the slaughter um, for the for the sake of the greater good. And and you're okay with, with God being the one that puts things right. Um, and you have that silent sturdiness about you, um, yeah, that you can tuck through life, knowing that that the, the judge of all the earth will do what's right. Um, I don't know. So you're, you're therefore able to sacrifice and give. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just to end, I think um, the theme of sacrifice is something that I've heard in a lot of other episodes that I recorded. And I think, you know, Christ is the one that did the ultimate sacrifice. So he is the ultimate model of what, yeah, this masculinity uh, should be like. Um, so, yeah, um, if you're a non-Christian listening to this and you've made it this far, uh, first off, um, thank you so much for <laughs> listening uh, to three of us talk about all of this deep uh, Christian and theology stuff. Um, I know probably there's a lot of things that, maybe you're questioning or maybe even, uh, you know, really 
really, really uh, strongly disagree with. And um, I mean, that's okay. Hope this conversation gives you a bit of a bit of a glimpse, I guess, and what we believe in um, and why, you know, like, uh, like our God and Christ means so much to us and can be the answer to a lot of the confusing things in life. And so hope, you know, um, it'll encourage you to be able to find out more. And um, yeah, to Christians and especially fellow CCC members listening to this, uh, hope this is fun for you guys to listen to. Uh, definitely try to balance out as much as possible between having a lot of, you know, really deep theology stuff, um, but also some fun practical stuff. And of course, uh, ending it, um, you know, to be about Christ as the tradition with uh, CCC sermons. So yeah, hope this can help all of us think through this topic, um, uh, you know, in a, in a wiser way and hopefully, um, yeah, allow us to love each other better and, maybe have more relationships in the church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's just a bonus, but hopefully it'll allow all of us to uh, love each other more. Taz, Freddie, thank you so much. Uh, the two months is definitely really worth the wait. And um, yeah, we're really glad that I had the chance to have this conversation with you guys tonight. I think I'm sure it'll be a really great blessing to a lot of the people uh, listening to this. Of course, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it. And I, I second your, 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 last thing there about just if, if you disagree with it you know i mean it's completely fine and even ccc members don't have to agree with everything that that was mentioned here you know that's just kind of our position and but yeah i think thanks for clarifying that at the end yep definitely all right thank you guys thanks steve thanks yeah. Freddie. all right thanks for what